if the foot should say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? In other words, if you left it up to your foot, if your foot had decision-making power, the ability to talk, the ability to do whatever it wanted to do, and if your foot said, well, I'm not a hand, then I'm leaving this body. I'm going to go find another body where I can be a hand. Except he's going to have the same problem that the ear had. He's going to try to attach himself to the end of an arm. And then that body's going to have a foot where a hand goes. How's that going to work? It's not going to work. But if that foot had the ability to do that, he would cause a split in the body. Again, aren't you glad your feet and your members of your physical body don't have this power? They don't have the ability to disconnect themselves and go look for a different body to join up with. Can't happen. Thank God for that. If the foot should say, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm not going to be a part of this body. Can he do that? No. If the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm not going to be part of this body. Is it therefore not part of that? No. Let's just take this right here. What we're going to see in these verses is there are two things that happen through the members of a body that cause the split. And you're seeing the first one right here. It's a, it's a member of the body saying, because I don't have that place. And because I don't have that grace. In this body, I'm going to go find a different one where I can have that place. Where I can operate in that grace. What's happening? It's a member of the body, a part, not valuing its place. It finds more value and more, ready, honor in another part, in another place. And they want the, the honor that they perceive that goes with that place because it looks like it's more honor there than it is here. So they, they split, they disconnect. Now again, our physical bodies can't do it. But these bodies the Lord puts us a part of, whether it's our family or our church family, it's happening all the time. Why would a part say what the foot said? Why would somebody who has a God-given place in a body say what that foot said? If I'm not that part, I'm not a part of this body. Well, they don't value where God has put them. They don't see that God, it was God who did it. They don't see that it pleased God to put them in that place. All they see is the glory that goes with being that other part. And so the foot says, I'm tired of being a foot. I got to be stuck down here all the time, always getting walked on. I'm tired of being a foot. I want to be a hand. Oh, the hand gets all the glory. The hand gets all the praise. Oh, yeah, you can reach out and grab stuff, whatever. I can do that too. As a matter of fact, that's the place I want. 
That's the grace I want. And if somebody doesn't put me in that place, and if somebody doesn't tell me that's my grace, I'm going to go find a different body where they will tell me that's my place. I'm going to go find a different body where I can be that grace. The only problem is a foot, the way it's shaped, the bone structure, will never be a hand. Never. As much as it would want to operate in that grace, never will it happen. Right? You are never going to get anywhere in this life with a foot stuck here at the end of this arm. It's not going to work. And the reason the split occurred is because the part didn't see the value. But what did we read? Back up. Look again in verse... Where was that? 22. He said, no match rather those members of the body which seem weaker, they're necessary. We can't live without them. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Who composed the body? God composed the body. God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it that there should be no schism. He did this in a way so that every part, help me Lord, God takes responsibility for making sure every part, whether that part is seen, whether that part is visible, whether that part is covered up with clothes or shoes, or whether that part is tucked somewhere on the inside where nobody will ever see it. God will make sure that if that part is in its place, operating on its grace, it will be honored. It'll happen. He will make sure that it is honored. That's what the scripture's saying. God gives honor everywhere it's needed. If... And this is a big if. If that part will stay in its place. There is no honor for a foot trying to be a hand. God can't honor that. Why? Doesn't, did not please him to put it there. But he takes personal responsibility for making sure that every part is honored. Whether it's seen by a lot of people or never seen by anybody God will honor it. But these schisms and these tears and rips occur when parts, members, don't put value where God puts value. And that's what the word honor means. It literally means value. If you look it up, it, it, it's the word price. Price. And see, this is one of the things people don't understand about prosperity and prosperity teaching and preaching. Raise a hand if you've ever heard anybody say a negative something about prosperity teaching and teachers and preachers. Yeah, we all have. But there's something people don't understand about it. They think prosperity teaching is limited to somebody preaching about money. And there are things the scripture has to say about money. How many of you would like to know what the Bible has to say about it? And there is a God path, just that there's a way to, to grow this place God's way. There's a way to grow financially God's way. But prosperity teaching is not limited to what the Bible says about money. A better definition of prosperity teaching would be 
How does God value? Where does God put value on things? Because his way of valuing things is so different than the world's way of value. He puts value in different places than this world puts value. And biblical prosperity is somebody putting value where God puts value. And that's what these verses are talking about. God will value, God will put honor and give honor to a part and a place when it's in its right place. When it's operating in the grace he gave it to operate in. Is this helping? Is this making sense to you? So really what I'm doing this morning is preaching prosperity to you. Because we're finding out what God values, what he honors. And he will make sure that if the part is in its place, it will be honored. Whether people see it or not, he'll make sure it gets honored. So why would a foot try to disconnect? I'm not getting the honor. Nobody's putting the value on me that I think they should be. Now, it's not happening in the physical body, but tell me, does it happen in churches? Does it happen in marriages? Does it happen in families? You better believe it does. You're not valuing me. You're not giving me the honor I think I deserve. So, split. But if the part will find its place, and stay in its place and let grace operate through it to be a benefit to the whole body for the profit of the whole body. God takes it upon himself to make sure that part gets honor, gets value. See, we're going to have to change the way we value the part he's given us. I don't want split, not in my house, not in this house. So I'm going to have to put value where he puts value. And if you have not valued your place, you need to understand that's a much more serious thing than you may realize. It's Satan who is a minimizer. It's Satan who is a belittler. It is Satan who tries to convince people of how little they are worth, of how little they are valued. That's his whole thing. And as long as you entertain thoughts of nobody values me, nobody honors me, nobody values what I bring to the body, what I bring to the body isn't significant, guess who you're listening to? And guess whose words are in your mouth? Huh? It ain't God's. You are letting Satan minimize and belittle you. But I want to read this to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll put it on the screen. Verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price. A value was placed on you. I love this so much. There's so much revelation here, church. He's talking to you. He's talking about you. You were bought at a price. This is how value gets assigned to things. When somebody puts a sticker on an item in a store and says, it is 
Now, regardless of what it costs to make it, regardless of what it costs to acquire it, the moment somebody comes in there and is willing to pay $9.99 for whatever this thing is, in that moment, that's what it became worth. Why? Because they paid a price for it. Right? Are you following me? And there are people who have paid huge sums of money for things you and I would look at and say, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? You paid that for this? Just do a little digging around sometime on your own. Look at what people have paid for stuff. And you think, you paid that much money for that dumb little thing? I could have paid off my house, my car, my credit card, put my kids through college for what you paid for that old thing, whatever it is. And the temptation is to look at what somebody else paid for something and judge them and say, that's not worth it. You're a fool. You paid too much for that. It's not worth it. But the problem is, if you didn't pay for it, come on, help me out. You don't get to decide. You are not the one that gets to put value on that. Whether you think it's junk or not, they are the ones that get to put a value on it because they're the one that was willing to pay whatever price was being asked. So what do you get to do? You get to shut up. You get to keep your mouth shut. Why? You didn't buy it. You didn't pay for it. And I don't care if you wouldn't have given 10 cents for it and they gave 10 million the moment they paid the price. That's what the thing became worth. Listen, if to nobody else but them. You could have seven other billion people on the planet all raise a hand and say, yeah, that's trash. But the one who paid for it determined its value when they paid for it. What did the scripture say? You were bought with a price. What's that mean? It means a value was placed on you. And you or nobody else gets to look at you and say, I'm not worth E. And yet religion has taught us to come before God and say what? I'm so unworth E. What are you saying to God when you say that? I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Yeah, I know you paid, but that was stupid. You paid too much. God is not a fool. He does not overpay. He knew what he paid. He knew the price. He was willing to pay it. And if to nobody else, you're worth it. He's the only one that gets to put value or to say what you're worth because he's the only one that paid. And the Bible says you and I were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We were redeemed. We were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. That's the value that was placed on you. For lack of a better phrase, there was a price on your head. And he paid it. I said he paid it. He paid the price, and then in that moment, that is what you became worth. And so faith says, if you say I'm worth it, I'm worth it. 
If you call me worthy, I'm worthy. I know it's not in and of myself. It's because you paid the price. This is not diminishing your place. This is not devaluing your place. This is not minimizing your supply in the body. This is magnifying it. Oh, God, thank you for the high price that you paid. And if you saw fit to make me the little toe on this body, glory to God, I'm going to be the best little toe this body has ever seen, could ever have, could ever want to have. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to operate in my grace for the benefit of the whole body. The whole body. But if this little toe splits, man, I got to careful preaching about this little toe again. If he decides to split because he's tired of being walked on, he's tired of being covered up every day, He's tired of having those stinky socks put on him every single day. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. It seems like one of the littlest parts in the body. But balance is thrown off. Stability is thrown off. Why? Because the rest of the body was depending on that part to do its part. To bring balance. To bring stability. Somebody say, don't split. <laughs> don't split. What prevents a split when every part, whether it's seen or unseen, heard or unheard, when every part values itself and its place the way God has valued it? And when you do that, what are you saying? Lord, I trust you to honor me. I'm not looking for leaders to honor me. I'm not looking for my spouse to honor me and value me. You have already put the most value on me that can be put on anything in the universe. What else do I need? What else do I need? And if you'll get in that place, operate in that grace, seen or unseen, God himself will be sure to honor you. Amen. Amen. Come on, say amen. 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 Now, there's another problem, though, in the body. The first problem we see that causes a schism is when a member doesn't value their place. Well, I'm not done talking about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, We do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What would cause a part to not put the same value on their part that God puts on their part? Comparison. This is why a foot would say, I want to be a hand. Comparing their place to another place. And we all know this, that your perspective of somebody else and their place and their life, it's never accurate. Oh yeah, you look from a distance. You look, you look through the portal that is social media and you see a picture of a family of four smiling and you think, man, they look happy. We just fight all the time in my house, and they look so happy. Anybody can look happy for this long. One, two, three, cheese, click. You don't know 
about the screaming that was going on before that, the screaming that was going on after that. You can't see what got spilled on that dress. That thing has been so photoshopped. People have taken out zits. People have taken out all kinds of things to make you think how glorious it is. This is why the Bible says we are not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. If you're using somebody else and their part and their place as the measurement of your success, you are a fool. You're a fool. It's not wise. Don't do it. And I'm preaching to myself. This goes back a long way in me. I grew up in and around ministry, literally born into it, spent my life on the front row of church. And when it came time to graduate from high school and I was trying to decide college, church, what's it going to be, I took this path where I said, okay, I'm going to go work full-time for my parents, my family. I'm going to let church and ministry be my university. And I'm going to soak it up and learn everything I can. So that's what I did. And several years later, as I served my parents on their staff and, and got promoted to different places... I recognized, and unfortunately I didn't recognize it till much later, but this temptation in me to look elsewhere at other churches, other ministries. Let's look at what they're doing. How are they growing? And it's a good thing to look and to learn. It's a bad thing to compare. Because it, it's, it, it never produces anything good. You're always either going to find somebody doing more than you or doing less than you. And if you're using them as the comparison, then if you find somebody doing more and better than you, then your estimation of yourself is low. But if you compare yourself to somebody doing what looks like less than you, then your, your estimation of yourself is too high. There's a problem with using other people as the measuring stick. You don't get an accurate reading. But I was doing this. I was doing this as a creative director at my parents' church. I was doing this as a youth pastor. I mean, I remember going to youth conferences in places around the country, and we had this little youth group. We had a youth group of about 120 teenagers. That's a good-sized youth group. But I walk into this youth conference, and the youth building of the church was tens of thousands of square feet. You walk in and it's massive and there's a full basketball court and a full cafe and multi-level arcade and a 1,500-seat auditorium with state-of-the-art sound and lights. And I start using this as the measurement of how good I'm doing. And so I did what so many others have done and I came home and said, we're going to do that. We're going to do everything they do and we're going to do it just the way they do it. But what's happening here is I'm criticizing, diminishing, minimizing the impact we're having because it doesn't look like the impact somebody else is having. And I'll never forget getting on an airplane. My grandfather and I went to Tulsa for an event. And we went to the event, and it was time to come home, and we were in his little twin-engine Baron, just a twin-engine, four-seat, six-seat airplane. And uh, he's flying, I'm flying right seat. And we take off out of Tulsa, and, and it's quiet. And, and the whole day, I have been formulating this question. I want to ask Papa something. And I've been working on this thing all day. And finally, as we're mid-flight, I said, Papa, I want to ask you something. 
Again, he'd been in ministry, who knows, 40, 50, almost 50 years at that point probably. And this has been a while back. I said, Papa, I want to ask you something. You've been in ministry a long time. Have you ever felt the pressure to look at another man in ministry and the pressure to be like that? The pressure to minister like that? Or the pressure to do in their men, in your ministry what you see them do in theirs to try to get those same results? And what he said to me so impacted me. I remember every word of what he said. And if you're writing notes, you might want to write this down. I asked him this question, have you ever felt this pressure? I'm going to give you a direct quote of what he said. No. <laughs> End quote. And of course, I was like, yeah, me neither, totally. I, just, I, don't, I don't know who would feel that. I'll be honest with you, in the moment, I did feel a little deflated. I was like, Jeremy, what, man, grow up. And it was quiet for a minute. And then he said something else. And this is really what stuck with me. He said, Jeremy, when I started in ministry, the Lord said something to me. He says, he said to me, if you want to learn from other people, you can. But when it comes to being like somebody, you be like me. That's what the Lord said to him. You can learn from other people. But when it comes to being like somebody, be like me. And that makes good sense, doesn't it? Because if we're using somebody else as the measuring stick, that's too low. I don't care who they are. How many seats they got in their auditorium. How many people are coming to church? What their pictures look like on Instagram? If you are using somebody else as the stick, somebody other than Jesus, that's too low. That's too low. He has given you the grace. He's given you his spirit and his word to make you just like him. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.